This is a Scrap Studio production. Hey everyone, this is Arun. And Jojo. And you're listening to Scraps by Electronic Medicines. This is your podcast where we, on your behalf, explore the stories of brilliance in innovation. And no marks for guessing why we are called as Scraps. It's the word Sparks, spelled backwards. This season, as many of you know, we are focusing on bioelectronic medicines. Bioelectronic medicines are a new class of therapeutics that seeks to modulate body's electrical axis for the treatment of many chronic disorders beyond just the traditional realm of neurological disorder treatment. In simple terms, bioelectronic medicines are medical devices that quite literally gets on your nerves. To help with understanding more, we have created a bespoke playlist of all episodes of bioelectronic medicine topics that we have produced. You can find it on our website, scrapspodcast.com, and that's scraps with a K. Today, we have a very special guest, a guest whose work rarely gets noticed. Most people in the US know well about the National Institute of Health and the manner in which it supports the area of bioelectronic medicines through its common program, the agencies like NINDS, and through its SBIR mechanisms. But if you're outside the United States, like how I am, the work that the other funding body does is largely unknown, except for those who live in the EU. And to be honest, the work that the European Union does to foster medical device ecosystem is truly fantastic, both via its funding mechanisms, but more recently, in a truly unique way beyond just funding the academic research. So to talk about this topic and to create more visibility for the bioelectronic medicine efforts, we have invited the Medical Technologies Program Manager, Enrique claverol Tinture for a chat. Without further ado, let's jump straight into the chat. Thanks so much for joining. I think it's it's uh, it's an utmost pleasure to have you. And as I said before, we start hitting record here. We wanted to demonstrate to the wider world what is known to a very small amount of people within Europe, especially the field of investigators who apply for the grants from the European Union, uh, especially the EIC Pathfinder Challenge. We wanted to kind of bring out the the essence of the fact that this particular grant mechanism exists for investigators outside the United States. Can you tell us a bit more about what really was the inspiration um, the European Union to actually start the overall Pathfinder challenge, but also specifically the Pathfinder challenge on this topic, because you do have Pathfinder challenges on other topics as well. Uh, But you kind of came in as a program manager for that. So just tie us tie all the pieces for us together. Yeah, so this this happens in the context of the European Innovation Council. This is like a new vehicle in the universe of vehicles of the Commission. And because the goal of this vehicle is to inject technologies into the market, and particularly in my area, which is medical technologies, is the portfolio I cover, our goal is to bring technologies to the clinic close to patient. Having that mission in mind, one of the roles that I have is to identify opportunities. And of course, there's a huge opportunity in neurotechnology and when I was asked, okay, why don't you suggest a gap, an opportunity for next year, it was previous year, 
2021, I said, look, uh, neurotechnology, I'm convinced there's a lot to be done. And if you look at CNS and peripheral nerves, and you look at stimulation, but also monitoring, there's so many areas we know so little about. And where you think, where you know that stimulation could have a therapeutic effect, it's clear. And the devices we have now, implantable, but also non-invasive, give us a lot of runway. Um, so why don't we use it? And so my proposal was, let's open up an opportunity that we call a challenge um, to researchers to propose technologies that either stimulate or monitor electrical activity. And we give them some flexibility so we don't focus on a specific condition. It's not for a specific indication. So it's, it's technology-wise, we're also quite, quite agnostic in this call. So we're saying, give us ideas to stimulate and monitor electrical activity. This could be done electrically. This could be done by ultrasound. This could be done optically. It's up to you but explore the opportunity. And that's the way we launch. That's the reason why we launched the challenge. But there's also a bit of a personal connection as to why you propose this as well, right? Because you're not a through and through what most people will actually refer to as in the European Union as a bureaucrat, right? Where I'm not, I'm not. No, no. You were not somebody who was ingrained into the grant ecosystem here at European Union as well. So tell us a bit more about how you got involved and why did you actually propose this in the first place? So, so this is part of the philosophy of the agency, right? When the agency was created last year, the idea is let's make something fresh. I wasn't in um, when this happened at the start. So I, I come from outside the commission. Uh, many years ago, I was an academic and I had a sort of a standard academic career. My, my work was in neurotechnology. So I applied for grants. I, I tried to convince PG students to come and work with us, postdocs, the usual stuff. Uh, and that's how I got to know some of who are my colleagues now at the commission. I, I, I got a few grants. I was a coordinator in a large European project. So that, that got me into that got me into the evaluation cycle as well. So while I was an academic, I became an evaluator. And so I used to come here every six months or once a year and look at proposals. And I got to understand a little bit how this works and all the challenges, all the operational challenges in managing calls. But then I left academia, I went to the private sector, I got involved in the startups. Uh, we did uh, drug discovery using electrophysiology platforms, we did uh, intraoperative neuromonitoring, all kinds of stuff. And then, you know, life takes you in weird ways away from what was in your initial plan. It was now my plan to become an academic, it was now my plan to come to European Commission, but sort of things happened. And uh, I ended up here because I knew my colleagues and they told me, look, we're trying to create a new vehicle, this is a new idea. And we don't want to have people from inside setting up the portfolios, setting up the calls, following the projects, talking to VCs. No, what we want is something different. We want something from outside who comes in with a bit of new ideas, a different way of behaving, different way of looking at technology and, and market. And I, I gave it a shot. So uh, the agency was set up last year. I came slightly before that, um, but I've been around for a year and a half only. So. This is my background. Neurotechnology is my background. And I expanded a little bit because I cover medical technologies beyond neurotech. But of course, deep inside, I'm a neurotechnology person. So that shows in many ways. Yeah. So I just want to pick on one strand that you've mentioned there, Enrique. I think you kind of mentioned it's a different way of administering the grants. Uh, and that is what the Pathfinder challenge that, that you are the program manager for is. So tell us about how this is different in terms of mechanism compared to most of the other ones that many people 
including pre-Brexit, that some of the UK British colleagues of yours might have also been collaborating with some of the European colleagues, etc., etc. But tell us about how the mechanism of this grant award was different from so, so uh, everything else that you've done. One before. of the challenges of the challenge to change a little bit how we evaluate and how we monitor the execution of the project. Um, and this is a delicate matter because the union is a complicated structure with different cultures, different member states, and there is a huge tradition, very well established, of evaluation being sort of, um, you know, completely outsourced to experts who are outside the commission. And so we wanted to change a little bit that, but just enough so that we maximize the number of technologies that we inject into the market. So in the past, all the proposals were sent out to evaluators, which score them. Uh, my colleagues ranked them, and the top group was selected as far down as our budget allowed us. That well, allowed my colleagues because I wasn't here. Um, and this is still remains a core part of the evaluation. So when we got proposals for this challenge, we still send it out to external experts, um, and they provided feedback and scores and a ranking. But we added a couple of additional layers. So we're doing this smooth change from the old way of doing things to the new way in a slowly moving manner, which is uh, you know, appropriate uh, to get things running at the union. Which is also a very European way as well, because you don't want to stir the pot too much. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. So the first additional layer we added is, is what we call the, the portfolio level evaluation. So once we have a ranking, the program manager has an opportunity to go in and look at the group of projects at the top, look, them, look at them as a whole. And we still work with the evaluators. So this is not done in isolation. You don't have a PM uh, looking at the portfolio and making decisions, but the, the PM chairs a meeting with the external experts who, as a, as a group, we look at the portfolio and try to identify mistakes we, we might have made. What could be a typical mistake? Well, you could have two proposals focusing on the same disease, the same disorder with the same technology, and maybe you think this is not optimal. Um, or maybe you have three or four proposals focusing on just one, you know, one of the common diseases. They could, I mean, it could be focusing on hippocampus, for example, memory, and you go, okay, I don't want to spend 50% of my budget on that. So that's one additional layer. We look at the portfolio and we decide, okay, are we making any mistakes here? And we have the, the, the legal basis to change the ranking if we think we're making a mistake, and we do this with the experts. Now, with this round of evaluations, the criteria we had, which was exactly what I was mentioning, trying not to focus too much on a disorder, trying not to uh, focus too much on a technology, that didn't happen. So we didn't have to change the ranking, but that's an opportunity. That's a tool that we have. Now, the second layer is once we start executing the project. So historically, um, you know, the administrative side done by the commission was essentially based on red tape, as you can imagine. So um, is this team spending the money they should be spending it? Do we have, you know, the, the, the appropriate invoices, that sort of thing? And then external experts would come in once a year, once every two years. They would look at the results, provide some reports, some feedback, and that was it. There was never a person that followed a technology from the start of our pipeline, which is Pathfinder, down to other stages in our pipeline, because we have stage two that we call transition, accelerator, stage three, and then market. Nobody was actually pushing the project all along the pipeline. And the other thing we're doing, what I'm doing for Neurotech, is I try to structure quarterly goals with the teams. So we have 
for every single project, we have established a single PowerPoint slide, which we call a simple roadmap. And this is our map of development of the technology. And that's a smooth change to what we had seen in the past. In the past, when I was an academic, you know, I wanted to group, you know, to uh, grow my team, grow my uh, group in academia, take more space, be better known, and developing the technology in a given timeline was not necessarily my priority because there were so many priorities. I was teaching, taking care of PhD students, postdocs, uh, writing grants, writing papers. But now our main driver at the agency is, okay, you dis- you decided to pursue this technology. We have a time frame which you set up. Now we will help you stick to that pipeline. And that's what I do, which is an additional layer. I follow quarterly what's going on in a very friendly way. I mean, come on, we are all in the same business. We know this is hard. But at least there is somebody who's pushing the project towards the clinic. And I'm a friendly face, I'm a friendly face, but uh, I'm there all the time. <laughs> we have actually, the, the, I like the, the structured milestones, and I know that DARPA is famous for using those. In fact, there's one PM within DARPA who's known not for having milestones, but for having inch stones. But I do want to go back a little bit to um, what you were talking about the first phase and the portfolio level review and finding that. Occasionally, you could find yourself in a position with an unbalanced portfolio, whether it's all too much in one in one disease indication or two approaches to the same disease indication. How do you go about soliciting different or new projects to rebalance that application pool? We don't. Um, this hasn't been yet um, designed, wired into the, the system. Uh, we've done this only for one year. And... The, the plan that we had, that we didn't have to execute it, but that was the plan. If we see an overlap, you know, we can only fund the top eight projects. This year, we funded the top eight projects, but we got 124 proposals. So the plan was to go down the ranking, be very systematic, as systematic as you can be with this thing. The plan was to go down the ranking and select another proposal, which didn't overlap, and then move it up into the funding range. Um, so because we have plenty of proposals that have high quality, are very close to the top, but they just didn't make it into the, 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 the funding, the fundable bracket. And the, and the attraction mechanism or getting people to apply for the fund is just sort of, you've built it so they will come, sort of field of dreams. It doesn't require a lot of outreach or, or was it their campaign that was, that was launched to, to solicit all of these 124 applications? Yeah, um, so the agency has inherited some budget from previous programs. And what that means is that the community already knew some of the previous programs. In the past, Pathfinder was called Future Emerging Technologies. And it was run by the commission directly, not by an, you know, a, a separate vehicle. Right now, the EAC, European Innovation Council. So a large fraction of the European community knew um, or neurotech community already knew the old programs. And so when the commission started talking about this new vehicle, the transformation, uh, people did follow what was going on. And so a fraction of the proposals we got came from the well-known European ecosystem in neurotech because we knew us all and they knew the commission. Uh, we also did um, info days, as we call them here. So these are days devoted to explain uh, our Bible for the year, which is a world program. This is the, the document that contains all the calls, all the programs for that year. So, so we devote at least one full day to explain, uh, it was this year in a virtual format, uh, what the world program um, has for the year. And then at the national level, at the member state level, as, as, as we call them, um, there are actions already at the national also at the national level, communicating to the scientific community that this is happening. 
But of course, outreach is always important and, and we probably should do a lot more. But then the timing is also a limiting factor because the, the work program, this document that summarizes everything, it has its timing. And sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to tell everybody, look, get ready because this requires a bit of thinking. And, and we typically want consortia. So for the Pathfinder projects, we typically um, see three, four, five, six different labs collaborating. And that takes time. And uh, we would like to do a lot more outreach, but sometimes we're not allowed to make public the, the, the contents of the work program. So you have to wait, 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 wait. And then the time window for the average is sometimes relatively limited. So that's another aspect that we can still polish. But yes, we do. We do quite uh, a number of... But some of these info days, I must say, I mean, having attended a couple of them, um, I think they are extremely informative. And I think people do it here in the UK as well. The, the UK kind of arm of funding here called Innovate UK and the European Council... I think the way you guys actually do it, going through every single bullet point of the grand call and saying, this is exactly what we expect you to do. This is how we expect you to do. Don't cry afterwards if something is not being fulfilled or if we basically make a decision on this, because that means that you've just not addressed that point, right? So I think the way you do it is incredibly helpful. Uh, I do agree that Sometimes time is too little <laughs> to do everything and boring, do it multiple times. But uh, <laughs> yes. just having been through the process uh, it's, and just watched you guys do it, I think it's, it's been very insightful and very explanatory. To be honest, I think that is something that differentiates this side of the Atlantic from the other side of the Atlantic in terms of how well the program managers for a respective call from a government agency would actually go through some of these details to actually get the higher quality proposals simply because the pool is much smaller compared to what it was on the other side of the Atlantic. So I think you just want to kind of ensure that that catalysis is actually ongoing. And if it's not there for people to start thinking about it, which is was very interesting to watch as well. Uh, I, I think I just heard a gauntlet drop. What was that, Jojo? Oh, I, I just, I just, you know, as as the only American on the call, I'm just, you know, standing up for the NIH just a little bit, just protecting my guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Um, so I think b- before we go into the details of the Pathfinder Challenge, will you be able to explain to people who are not clearly aware of all the different mechanisms of the three major funding streams uh, or three major arms of funding that the European Innovation Council actually has now. So Pathfinder is one. What are the other two? And explain the differences between those for us, Henry. Sure, sure. So we have three stages in the in the funding pipe. First one is Pathfinder. And that's kind of the engine for new ideas. That That's the idea behind Pathfinder, that we should get new technologies developed. And at the end of the Pathfinder project, ideally, we should get a proof of concept. So we accept it's going to be uh, sort of a hand-wired, hand-soldered device maybe, and it's been tested preclinically in animal models. We understand that. Occasionally, we see projects that can do clinical validation within Pathfinder, but typically we wouldn't expect that. If that happens, that's fantastic. But at the end of Pathfinder, typically, if the project is successful, you're going to get a device that's, that's functional to some extent, but is too ugly to be of interest to the private sector. It's not ready for clinical validation in many cases. And that's why we created this bridge funding that we call Transition. And Transition is again a grant. It's not an investment. Um, We expect POCs, proof of concept devices, to come to us at the start of Transition. 
we offer the teams, and here the teams could be, again, academics, they could be companies, they could be um, consortia with companies and academics. Uh, we offer them two to three million euros, and for two or three years, we ask them to polish the technology, whatever they need to do. We try to avoid transition, this phase two, to be focused on R&D research, because, I mean, as you know, as you know, research can take ages from medtech. Medtech is very tough. The development cycle is very long. And we realize that if we accept a lot, so projects that require still a lot to be done within transition, the phase two, then they would go on and on and they would not complete the project where we want it to be at the end of transition. So they come with a POC. We offer them to polish it for a couple of years, three years, two, three million years. And then they move on to the third stage. This is what we call accelerator. And Accelerator is, is, is a big new thing for us because we still provide a sweetener because now we, we, we start switching our language to sort of private sector VC investment kind of language. And here we have a sweetener, which is 2.5 million grand. And on top of that, we offer up to 15 million, one five equity investment. So we take an equity position, always minority position. And in Accelerator, we expect that the Pathfinder and Transition have already transformed themselves into a company either because uh, they have licensed the technology to a company or because a new company has been formed, all possibilities are, are, are acceptable. But when you get to the third stage, we expect that our researchers come with a company and we support the company. And of course, we have these two parts of the accelerator um, financial muscle. We have the grant and we have the equity. And uh, you know, entrepreneurs, inventors can ask for grant or they can ask for equity investment or they can ask for both. And they can also ask for a grant, what we call grant first. They tell us, look, I need the grant now. I need to finish a little bit of high-risk stuff. And then I will come back to you and see if we are ready for equity. So that's, that's, a, that's I think a great first. mechanism. I think it, here in the United States, a lot of the programs have struggled with the valley of death between funding research, um, everything from basic research to preclinical, and, and justifying the investment in research if the program doesn't actually matriculate into a a spin-out or a company that that becomes a commercial organization. So I think there's been a lot of focus domestically in the United States on um, translation. And it's it's nice to see this built into your program kind of from the get-go, especially with the options for financing, whether it's equity or continued grants or um, what about a possible uh, debt financing proposition? Yeah, yeah. Um, some of the companies, um, you know, the, the, the valley of death happens everywhere and, and it certainly happens more in Europe. I mean, we don't have such a de well-developed VC ecosystem. It exists, but, you know, the States is it's far ahead of us uh, uh, in that sense. So it's not unusual for companies to come to us at stage three and we say, look, uh, you need to find co-investors. We always ask them to, to find co-investment that at least matches our investment. And sometimes this is not possible at that stage. So we offer them, we try to be flexible, we use convertible notes. And sometimes in the discussion, uh, venture debt comes up. It's not a very popular instrument in Europe. Uh, I know it's much more popular in the States, but this has come up in some of the conversations. And, and uh, you know, we know, we know some uh, uh, venture debt uh, vehicles in the States and we try to connect them, but it, it hasn't really... Um, gain traction, although this comes up often. It's, it's a good option. Uh, yes, non-dilutive, and yeah, uh, we should use it more. 
So I think the equity model as well is very new to the European Union and the EIC as well, right? So that's something that you are mentioning to me offline, that this is something that you're still working out the details of, uh, etc. Even though there have been companies that are successful through that call, I think you're still working out the details of the awards and all of that. But I think just having the fact that you could possibly backdate some of the invoices and knowing that the money is coming and you're, you're an awardee, I think that makes a huge difference to a capital structure of a company and potentially any other uh, commitments that a startup might actually have. I think th- that is a great instrument for, for companies that would actually want to move into that space. So I think just to summarize, you have the Pathfinder, you have the Transition and you have the Accelerator. But let's actually move into the specific Pathfinder challenge that was recently completed. You mentioned 124 applications of which there were eight awarded. And tell us a bit about the call itself, what you actually put into the specification document and what came out in terms of the awarded applications, the funded applications and your impressions of those, Enrique. So long question. Hopefully your answer will be longer. No, no, no. Uh, It's really interesting. So um, my first um, challenge in a way, was to decide whether I wanted to design the call focusing very much on our product, so sort of maximizing the chances we would get something into the market eventually. But then at the same time, if we do that, if we do that at Pathfinder level, which is stage one in the pipeline, it kind of defeats the purpose of Pathfinder because you want to allow people to come in with new ideas. And so I decided to have two sub-challenges. One is give us a device that doesn't need to invent a new mechanism to modulate or monitor electrical activity. Use something that we understand, but maybe choose a new area um, where there is already data proving that if you stimulate that area, um, there will be a therapeutic effect. So do not try to invent too much because it will be hard enough. And then the other sub-challenge was, okay, here, explore. Give us some new ideas, um, ways to monitor or stimulate, which are not the traditional ones, typically the electrical ones. and we allow you to take a lot of risk. And here we don't ask you to get a device done at the end of the project. Let's be realistic. If you're going to design a new way to modulate membrane potential, you might spend three years trying different things. And we thought, let's allow some of our budget to go into that exploratory research. And so we tried to balance a little bit. So eventually, um, we funded eight projects. I'm looking at the list right now. And we have kind of a healthy mix of different ideas. So we have electrical stimulation, which is still there uh, for speech decoding. Uh, this is a speech um, cortical prosthesis uh, kind of implant, high density. In a way, there is some you know, a, a classic part in that in that development. But we also have a spinal cord um, stimulation uh, for a spinal cord injury. We have visual uh, cortical prosthesis project, and here there's something interesting, something novel. They're trying to go up to a very very high number of electrodes, but not really. Um, in the brute force kind of approach, but they are trying to effectively increase the number of electrodes with some clever stimulation. That's kind of the novelty in this project. So we have a subset that's still electrical, which makes sense. And then we have um, a couple of projects using ultrasound stimulation to treat uh, depression. And we also have an optical um, approach. And in this case, it's not for stimulation, but it's for mapping uh, functional response during surgery. So it's an interesting uh, new angle. And then finally, there is a trend, I think, in medtech in general, implantable devices to go to very, very small implantable devices. We have some projects from the past 
uh, on things that we call um, smart dust, you know, very, very small cubes with uh, stacked electronics, uh, wireless communication, sort of very, very tiny uh, implantable devices down to a millimeter or even smaller. And we have one project kind of exploring this for Neurotech. Um, and and this, is, this is sort of the universe that we are funding. It's only eight projects, but I think we, we cover quite a lot of different technologies. And in terms of conditions, uh, we go from locked-in syndrome to depression, spinal cord injury I mentioned, uh, vision, Parkinson's disease, uh, and there is neurosurgery in the context of glioblastoma, brain tumor. Um, we also have a project on DBS, you know, this trend to make the brain stimulation much more sophisticated. So more electrodes, embedding, computing in the actual electrode. Um, here, this is an ASIC to be developed and included in the electrode. This is a closed-loop approach. And there is the keyword, again, coming up, graphene, which we're all watching. Can we actually extract functional advantages from graphene? Is this real? You know, I come from the field, and I was very skeptical. Um, but, but we want to see. We don't want to miss the opportunity. So we have, have graphene a, do you have a favorite uh, in this project? DBS project. I know you're not supposed to have favorites. I mean, if you're a parent, you know, you're not supposed to pick your favorite child. <laughs> no, I cannot have a favorite project. No, I don't have it yet. Uh, maybe in a few months or a few years when I see projects progressing, I will not be able not to have a favorite one. But at the moment, we're just starting. We, we didn't even sign the contracts yet, so this is ongoing. That's part of the reason why we cannot go too deep into every single project. But we, we released the title and the grant so we can talk about this in a, in a, in a general way. Once it's signed and they are starting to work, it's, it will be easier to see what, what makes more progress. They don't have my favorites. So we can do. But but I think one of the things that always amuses me about uh, about the uh, European Innovation Council EU funding is the way some of these grant applications are actually named. Uh, it's very it's it's a very I've not seen that in the US. Whenever I've I've um, seen people submit grants, just want to kind of read out some of the <laughs> names. Right, the the eight projects. Right, it's Hyperstim, uh, Minigraph. Uh, each one is, of, if this is an acronym, I'm assuming. Uh, so Hyperstim, Minigraph, Microvask, Nemo BMI, which is not a reference to, no. to Nemo uh, in Finding Nemo, uh, I'm pretty no. sure. Uh, Crossbrain, um, Hyperprobe, and Intracom, not Intercom, Intracom, and Upside. So each one of those is a combination, as you kind of mentioned, between pushing the limits on D-brain stimulation and spinal cord stimulation, materials in one of the cases, and then looking at optical methodologies both for stimulating and then also looking at intraoperative assessments of brain activity, etc., to provide people with a clear understanding of what's happening. So I think it's it's a good, diverse is, list of yes. projects within within the realm uh, of okay, what the I'm, call I'm was. I'm going to jump in and just maybe put on a marketing hat for a minute. I think there needs to be some some marketing intervention on some of the names and just sort of just um, like when you again with children, when you name them, you sort of have to go through the exercise of, OK, when they're out in the schoolyard, how is their name going to be made fun of? And and so I think we need to do some of some of those exercises <laughs> with with some of these. Um, but I, I won't pick on point. anybody. But interestingly, it's the yes. PIs who actually come up with the name when they submit it. Uh, it it's, 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 it's not the EIC who do that. Yes, and they actually spend some time, I'm sure, trying to combine the letters. And I'm sure they spend some time, yeah. 
So one of the interesting thing that I noticed here is that even though it's all looking at technologies and potentially a therapeutic applications, it's very much focused towards the uh, deep brain stimulation and spinal cord stimulation and looking at materials in the brain, etc. Was that purely because of the way the call was written or was there an inclination to go beyond just tools to measure and stimulate activity in brain tissue uh, and for that to be anything that affects signaling in the brain, even if that was from a peripheral perspective. So what was your ingoing thinking? Because clearly there aren't projects that have been funded in that space. So I just want to get a bit more clarity on that for people who might be looking at areas outside the brain and spinal cord, which yes. as an example, vagus nerve, I mean, uh, as a, it's a classic example. Yes. And I do know that's actually big or potentially quite a few number of people who are looking at other nerve targets, yes. uh, like even the hypoglossal stimulation and a whole host of other things that people are looking at, at least in Europe that I know uh, of from universities. When so. the challenge was created, um, I chose to keep it very open. Um, and it's kind of, there's a random component. Um, you don't know what's going to come in and you will not, you cannot anticipate what will be ranked at the top. But certainly uh, I kept it very open. There's always this doubt in, in our mind when we create challenges about the granularity, right? Should we go for a very narrow very focused challenge where you know clearly where you want. You, you might have chosen already a cortical area and you might say, look, I just want prosthesis for that particular cortical area. And then you might do, you might achieve fast progress in that narrow field, but you might leave many others out. Or you keep it open and then you try to capture the best. And that, that was my choice this time. But I have to admit that I'm never quite sure what's best. You never know. And it, it's, it, it's easier in hindsight. No? You look back and go, okay, so I kept the funnel open. It was completely open. And then that's why I captured this one. Or I focused so much. And that's why I made so much progress. Um, so for this challenge, it was pretty flexible. Uh, we said, if you want to modulate the nervous system to then modulate immune response, you're welcome to do that. It wasn't completely uh, constrained. But then in the end, you know, the majority of proposals are where they are. And we look at the ranking, the top scoring, and do we see big clashes in terms of conditions or technologies? We said, okay, we don't see any big problem there, so we, we stick to the ranking. But it was pretty pretty open. Uh, so I, have, I have one more question sort of on the application process, um, because I, I know it, it's difficult to, to be systematic and to rank things as objectively as possible. And so you create the scoring metrics and you have a, a diverse panel of, of judges and the criteria are, are defined before judging begins. All, all of the, the regular things. Have you anticipated, maybe it didn't happen in this round, but have you anticipated where somebody scores highly on paper and then you meet the team and, and it's just, it just becomes very clear that this is not a team that works well together off paper? that there are issues in, in personalities and leadership styles, those sorts of things. How do you account for that? Yes, that's a very good question. Uh, we actually have uh, meetings with the team for transition and for accelerator. Uh, we don't have them yet for Pathfinder, but uh, it's it's been propagating from accelerator down to transition, and it's likely that in the future we'll do it for Pathfinder because that um, question is a spot on on one of the issues we find sometimes. You know the chemistry of the people and the proposal. It, these are different skills. You know, uh, uh, 
you know, the craftsmanship of writing a proposal is different from working together and making a lot of progress in the project. And we've seen those problems again and again. So the, the meetings are already in place for transition and accelerator. And we meet the entrepreneurs, we meet the academics, we, we, we meet the entire team with the jury there. And only the top ranking proposals come to the meeting. But there's an actual, meet, an actual meeting. You can see their faces. You can ask questions. Um, you, you can hear how they respond on their feet. For Pathfinder, this is not yet there. This is, I mean, the, the history behind Pathfinder is more academic in a way. So, so you don't typically want a pitching sort of session, whereas in, in startups, that's, that was more common. But we're seeing that working so well that it's propagating down. The transition does that, and maybe we'll end up doing the same thing for Pathfinder. So. Very good question. It's something that we can yeah, improve. No, and, 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 and we struggle with it here in the States too. But I know when we work with startups and people approaching um, investors, you know, the, the investors, the first three things they invest in are the team, the team, and the team. That's, those are usually the top three criteria. So Absolutely. it's important to sort of, in my mind, to, to integrate that early Absolutely. on. But it, it sounds like you guys have that covered very well. So I have one question for you as the program manager and your team uh, th that, that you worked on the call. I'm sure while you were putting through the actual description for the call and getting it through the approval process internally and then ultimately communicating that externally and waiting with bated breath to see which projects were going to come through, etc., there must have been pain points in the whole process for you and your team. So... Are you privy? Are you at liberty to talk about what those pain points were and how that could actually be addressed? Or how did you address them and how you could possibly... You mean in defining the challenge, in executing the evaluation? Defining the challenge, but also, I mean, I was actually referring, or at least I was thinking more along the lines of, did you have to go through a lot of effort to convince people internally to say that this is something that that EIC should be investing in as part of a Pathfinder challenge. And when, during that time, did you actually have a little bit of pushback to, uh, to saying, hey, why specifically neurotechnology compared to anything else? Um, it's another good question. Um, I was lucky in the sense that the agency was a new vehicle, that um, you know, I was a second program manager to join the adventure and the only program manager in medical technology. So, to some extent, there are similarities to the DARPA model. I mean, the, the DARPA model was considered a lot before creating the agency. And, 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 and the model we understood works very well at DARPA is that the PM is given some freedom to decide where are the opportunities. That's why we bring PMs into the PM office. And, and that has been adopted in a way here. So it's true that the commission is, is complex in the sense that it's a large place. There are many departments, many units. Um, and that required for me to communicate very well what I was trying to do and why I was doing it and, and how this was different from what was being funded other, under other programs. The way this is done in the commission, and I think this is kind of a European Union kind of thing, is there are lots of meetings trying to communicate what you're doing. Uh, it's maybe outreach, internal outreach in a way. But we didn't have, or I didn't have major trouble in getting my ideas through. I think that mostly because you the concept was inherited from DARPA, and it was very clear that if we if we have something new, we have to learn. You know, we we have to empower people, and in this case, the PMs are empowered to decide what to do to some extent. But there's always negotiation, and this was the first year 
every year will be a little bit different because we're refining the process. But you're absolutely right. There's always a negotiation process inside. And it might be harder to do something similar next year or the following year, you know, because we, get, we know each other much better. Now, you know, there's more familiarity in the team. So now, but, you know, uh, I think following the DARPA model is working. But it's also interesting that this is not just a neurotechnology. You're not the neurotechnology program manager. You are the medical technologies yes. program manager. So therefore, you have the option to go for where you believe the pinch points are in terms of developing yes. new technology, which is gives you a great amount of liberty, but also kudos to your stakeholders who actually gave you the full freedom to pitch whatever that you wanted and trust you to go forward because that doesn't come very easily and sometimes eu gets a bad rap for being too bureaucratic yes. and too controlling and all of that i think in that environment just having that freedom for you and the other two program managers which who i believe have done in other areas i think that that's actually yes, a good I think so. um exercise for them an yes. exercise for you to be basically for the trust to work both it's ways a start. Uh, it's a start. in that front we're all learning how to do this you know we are new at this <laughs> yeah yeah so when will the next call be for the Pathfinder and what are, uh, for the medical technology subsection, where are you going with? Now that you've finished one call and you've possibly have eight teams that are working on the neurotechnology, you're still yet to sign the contracts and yes. all of that. But where is the medical technologies program yes. going here? Well, there are always two programs in parallel. One is the, the, the challenge-driven call and there is always the open. So all technologies in medtech, including neurotech, can always submit to the open call. That's always going to be there, and it's actually the largest. So I wanted to mention this because it's an interesting tool that's always open. So even if in a given year I don't open a challenge on neurotech, so this coming, this new year, uh, world program, the 2022, um, I have a medtech challenge which uh, is on the health continuum. Those are new technologies to follow health of the individual in a non-obtrusive way. And that's kind of a broad thing where some neurotechnology could also go in, but it's much broader. Um, but still, the open call, it's always available. And, and that's the largest one. So neurotech, if the challenge doesn't match neurotech and your audience is probably going to be mostly interested in neurotech, the open call is always there and they will compete with other um, proposals beyond medtech. And when they are within medtech, they will come to my portfolio eventually. So there are always these two paths. One is my choice for the year of a challenge that might be changing depending on where I see the opportunity. But there is always the biggest channel, which is going to be the open call. We'll include the links for, for the calls, um, both the Pathfinder, Transition and Accelerator on our episode description so that people can access that readily. Okay, I'm going to go with the, the most American of questions. Um, from this side of the pond, I can see a rune here shaking your head. From this side of the pond, I'm, we're morbidly curious with the effects of Brexit on this program started, you know, Brexit was already underway. That's not an issue. It's not a legacy issue for you. But I'm sure there are some pain points there in terms of competing programs or competing resources or misunderstandings or misalignments between the two or missed opportunities and overlapping opportunities what's your how have you experienced brexit as it pertains uh, to we are program? sad we are um terribly sad because many of our colleagues are based in the uk um so the situation right now with the uk is uh we still can't provide grants so they can come to pathfinder uh 
transition, and even they can apply for the grant of the accelerator program. But at the moment, we cannot invest, we cannot take an equity position in a UK company. Uh, so, you know, we're all very sad because there are teams, there are consortia that were very well that had UK participants, you know, and, and continental European, uh, continental Europe participants. And, and that team has been broken uh, to some extent, but they can still get grants from us. And maybe things will change um, and the equity investment will become possible. But at the moment, it doesn't seem likely in the short term. Um, we don't see ourselves competing, maybe because we're essentially scientists in many ways. We're not really, or at least myself and my colleagues, we're more technical people than, than we're not really at the policy or, or politics level. So we look at the device and we look at the patient population and we think, what's the fastest way to get there? Well, it's all working together, right? Um, but you know, these things happen. So is there a time limit for how long that poll collaboration can still go on? Or is that not being determined at the at the policy level? I think this is a still an ongoing negotiation. At the moment, we can contribute grants. I see. Um, and typically <laughs> what we do, uh, what my colleagues tend to do is, if the, if the grant is awarded during a time window when that's possible, then even if the situation changes, the project continues until the end of the project. Um, I, I don't think in the past, things have happened in the past with Switzerland, for example, and things have changed a little bit. Projects that got that started are typically allowed to finish, um, but new grants might not be awarded. So this is an ongoing negotiation, I think, with the UK. That's that's great. So I think that's pretty much all the things that we wanted to ask you, Enrique. But we also want to put in a request as well as see us as an avenue to communicate the wonderful things that you guys are doing at the EIC. Especially, I think Bo, Jojo and I want to invite all the eight teams to basically come in. So once you hopefully sign the contracts, once they are possibly ready to rock and roll with their work, scientific work, we would love for them to actually come to our podcast and we can actually have all the eight teams and they can all have a certain amount of time to pitch what they're doing at a very high level to the rest of the world simply because we want to create the visibility and please see us as friends and ensure that the teams are, uh, if they're willing to come on and just kind of present their work as a summary, we would love to have them. And as and when things happen, we would love to have them on the podcast as well. It's a great idea. Absolutely. Um, Let's do that. Um, And it's great that you're doing this outreach effort uh, for neurotechnology. It really helps within the community and to communicate with society as well. So this is fantastic. I'm really grateful you are in the space and, and helping the space to grow. So looking forward to continuing the collaboration. And of course, uh, if we could have our projects talking to you and your audience would be, would be great. And, and thanks for having me, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you. That was the interview with Enric Claverol-Tinture, Program Manager of the European Innovation Council's Medical Technologies Program. I hope you had a well-rounded view of the type of innovation funding that continually runs on this side of the Atlantic and how Enrique and his colleagues are running a very different program and trying to do it well to ensure innovation is helped to the greatest extent possible. We hope the portfolio grantees come to the podcast and we would love to do a panel with them. So if you are one of them and you're listening, please contact us at scrapspodcast at gmail.com or get hold of Jojo Platt or I on LinkedIn. Sandhya Nagarajan edited the episode. 
and the mixing, mastering and audio engineering was done by Swaminathan Thirignana Sambandham. That's it from us. Join us in the next episode where we will continue our soup to nuts disease focused topic discussion in bioelectronic medicines. If you like to give us feedback, please do that as a recorded audio or in an email to scrapspodcast at gmail.com. That's scraps with a K and sparks spelled backwards. <laughs>